0: Hello and welcome to our podcast named detours this podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down I'm your host and fellow traveler Mike I'm here with my beautiful wife Deb and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way so without further ado let's dive into this episode. wife Deb hi guys and we are gonna take a quick break for season two we've got some more episodes planned on the story of my brother but this is a special episode we typically uh, launch our episodes every other Monday and with that schedule our episode was scheduled to launch on Christmas day but uh, we're gonna pause oh. for just one episode we're gonna release this a few days early and it's gonna be Uh, Really kind of a celebration of Christmas for us. And like I said, we'll get back into season two uh, next episode. But uh, thank you for joining us. And Deb, we want to talk about all things Christmas.
1: Yes, we do. It's an exciting time of the year.
0: It is. It is for for almost everyone out there. Uh, Christmas holds a very fond memory. Some childhood for me, it was this little Godzilla toy that the eyes lit up red and had smoke come out of its mouth. And I was, I had to have been five years old Aww. and I wanted that Godzilla so bad. And you know what? I was a good little boy and I got that Godzilla. <laughs> oh, I'll have you good. know, but everybody has their memories of Christmas, but sure. you know, the, the, the origins of Christmas are typically not what people expect. And, uh, definitely, a, a, a true blessing beyond what we probably recognize for for Jesus to have entered into this world. That's what we're kind of recognizing on December 25th. Uh, but you have some pretty cool things that you've uh, understood over the years and yeah. learned and dug up. So what are some of the things that, uh, that you have learned?
1: Well, I think as Christians, we sometimes... Forget the the detail of the story; it becomes very commonplace during Christmas to get super excited about family traditions and food and gifts, um, and we lose sight of the beauty in something that's very familiar to us. And I think when we take some time to pause and really look at the details in the story, we can find a whole new level of beauty uh, for us to worship the King of Kings. And so there's so many little intricate things that we look past um, that I would love to talk about today. Um, Starting, I think, which is one of my favorites, is the shepherds. Um, The shepherds coming to see Jesus. And I think the westernized view of shepherds, because we have no frame of reference whatsoever, you know, we're not a farming country, Um, that we almost romanticize the shepherd. But shepherds were really kind of the lowest in society. They were um, kind of thought of, not always, but m- very often as criminals. Their testimonies were not admissible in court. Um, and people looked down upon shepherds as a dirty job. And yet the first people that God allows to see Jesus are shepherds, like the least of the least, Um the outcast, the marginalized, it almost sets a tone for Christ's entire ministry because Christ really does go after the the lost and the marginalized and the outcast. And that just touches my heart because I've always felt like the outcast. Um, like what a great honor that he would bestow upon shepherds of all things, you know?
0: Yeah, and the Bible and our lives are... are- you know, the Bible itself is a book of patterns, and, and that's definitely a pattern that you see throughout the Bible. For you, you're very passionate about the story of the woman at the well and just how that resonates with you and how she was rejected by society.
1: For and sure. And Jesus
0: totally redefined who she was. Yeah, Um, and, and you see, she was the lowest of the low. She had to go get her water in the middle of the day Mm -hmm. uh, because the other wives would not accept her and and so on and so forth. So again, it's just a pattern that you see all throughout the Bible. So yeah, absolutely a wonderful thing.
1: Yeah. And think about this. She was the first evangelist. She was the very first one Jesus told, I am Messiah and a woman of all things, a woman, you know, they're their testimony was not admissible in court. They were not looked upon as being reliable witnesses to anything. And yet that's who Jesus chose. Like, wow, I love that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we talked about before we started recording this episode, we also talk about when, when people put out their little manger scenes, they have uh, shepherds there and they have their three wise men and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's there's numerous things that are s- incorrect or assumptions or just timing yeah. is wrong with all of this. Walk us through some of those things.
1: Well, let's just take the, the manger itself. We think of it as this straw structure um, that Jesus is put into and swaddled, and that's the exact opposite of what he was actually in. He was in a stone, what you would call almost a sarcophagus. A, a It looked like a tomb. Um, it was a feeding trough. And that's very, very different. And you look at when Jesus is laid to rest, when he dies, he's in a stone tomb. It's a picture of, wow, like his birth represents what it would look like at his death. So even in his birth narrative and in some of the details in there foreshadow what his death is going to look like. And who do you have in the tomb? You have um, Mary Magdalene that comes to see him. And then you have, it's Joseph of Arimatheus's tomb. So you have Joseph and Mary in the beginning. You have Joseph and Mary at the end. And it's just such a cool picture. So that's, that's one detail that I think um, can really make you go, oh, wow. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. And so biblically, uh, baby Jesus is born and the shepherds are the very first ones that we know of to show up. Yeah. Oftentimes these, uh, again, uh, all, all these scenes and everything that you'll see, the three wise men are there, but there's multiple things going on there that some are based on assumptions, may be true, may not be true. We don't right. know definitively. And other information there is is really kind of incorrect because we're crunching the timeline together. So most people believe that the wise men showed up several years later, yeah. potentially two years later. Jesus when he was is a, toddler. a toddler. So these nativity scenes where you see... Uh, the shepherds and the wise men in the same place. That that was not the case, not no. at all.
1: And we don't even know if it was three wise men. It could be right. twelve, representing every tribe. You know, it. We don't really know for sure. Yeah, Again, that, an assumption because there were three gifts.
0: Yeah, and and one of the coolest parts of. The birth of jesus are the three gifts oh so cool yeah the gold frankincense and myrrh there's a lot going on there so let's let's talk about gold first that's probably the one that everyone is the most familiar right every Mm -hmm. uh everybody is familiar with gold but what what all does that represent in the birth narrative of jesus as a gift
1: well gold represent gold was always given to kings so you know the magi say who? Is, where is the king of the Jews? You know, so they were really saying this gift is fit for a king. They were calling Jesus king of kings. So just giving him gold was a representation of like, we know who you are. We know you're the fulfillment of scripture and we are going to honor you as such. So they were claiming his, you know, his kingship, even in his birth as a toddler. They're looking at a two-year-old and going, you are the Messiah, you are the king of kings, you've come to ransom Israel. And so the beauty in just that alone. And then you think about gold obviously being a currency and um, probably helped Mary and Joseph escape from Herod and escape to Egypt when he was pretty much genociding every Jewish boy. Um, And maybe that even was used to uh, support his rabbinical educational studies as a little boy you know he all little boys of jewish descent went to you know synagogue to learn um of the scriptures and we know that joseph and mary were not well off people so that gift was very practical from god you know god gives us good gifts
0: yeah he does and so so gold absolutely came in handy mm-hmm. uh, so frankincense mm. frankincense is pretty interesting as well yes so what 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 is the significance of that?
1: Frankincense was used very heavily in the temple. So you have a picture of being given frankincense as Jesus being the high priest, that we, you know, we have it in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus being our high priest and that Jesus could empathize with our our humanity. And I'm paraphrasing that verse. You can certainly find it. I think it's 14 Hebrews 14:6 14, if I'm not mistaken, but
0: I think it's actually Hebrews 4:14 4, 4, 6, through 16. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we can we can look Double it up and yeah we can look it up and put it in the notes you know but um they were they were claiming him as high priest as well and um it had you know many different purposes um you know frankincense was used as an anesthetic um, to clean wounds, you know, it was probably an incredibly practical gift for a time and culture where like washing your hands was not common or you don't know what's in the water. So even the practicality of the gift, you have the spiritual representation of being given something that says, hey, this is priest, high priest and deity. But also the practicality of that gift is we live in a dirty environment, and you're going to need something to uh, act as a healing agent. So, again, God is always practical, and yet there's always a spiritual representation of um, what these gifts mean, a prophetic representation.
0: And it's interesting that um, the term high priest is is so critical because you read the Gospel of John— and actually, our mentor does an amazing teaching on this. But Jesus, being a representation and fulfillment of the tabernacle, yes. that's literally step by step executed through the Gospel of John. And what's amazing is, for the tabernacle, you have the, the you know the blood of the lamb being presented to the high priest or the high priest. Excuse me, takes that blood of the lamb in and presents it to God. And if God accepts. Um, then, then your sins uh, are, are covered. Right, But when Jesus comes in the Gospel of John, he is both the high priest, which parallels the frankincense, but then we also know him to be the lamb. So he is not only just the sacrifice, but then he's presenting himself, in a sense, to As the high, high priest. priest. And he's accepting that sacrifice because he was the perfect sacrifice so just such a beautiful picture
1: it is in
0: uh, frankincense just lay, literally laying out the ministry mm-hmm. uh, of Jesus Christ so yeah if you guys want to learn more on that uh, look for charcoal fire Bible study on Spotify and in search for a particular teaching that our mentor did um, I think I think it's just called uh, the Gospel of John and Jesus's fulfillment of the tabernacle it's something along those lines. Uh, if you want to learn about that it's
1: so interesting, I mean, from every single detail, every like step walking into the temple and you know the labor and the and the candles and and Bill breaks it down like, he, he
0: does a great job it's so.
1: remarkable, it'll make you go, "Oh my Lord, I serve an amazing God."
0: Yeah. Just again, what we're kind of harping on is the level of detail Mm -hmm. is just incredible. And what's, what's ironic is we're sitting here doing a show called detours, but for Jesus, there is no detour. He knows exactly what he's doing and he's moving exactly as he should. There's nothing that there's no detour for him. There's only detours for us. And that is made clear through that tabernacle teaching to me. That was one of the times where I just went, yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. Right. So, all right, so we had gold and frankincense.
1: And myrrh. Myrrh has got a lot of uses in the Bible. I think myrrh is fascinating. Um, You have myrrh being used in many different ways in the Bible. You have myrrh being used as a purification. You see that in Esther. Uh, You have it as an anointing oil um, in Exodus, anointing Aaron. Uh, You see it as a perfume in Song of Solomon, you see it as a, an embalming and a burial-like preservation in John. You see it as a medicine and a painkiller in Mark. You also see it in weddings and uh, representing love in Proverbs. So myrrh has this really cool symbolic um, kind of rhythm to it. And um, what's really, really interesting about myrrh is how it's actually extracted from the tree oh my gosh, you have to pierce the tree's heartwood and then allow the gum to trickle out. And because it is um, known as being a very bitter substance, you're actually watching bitter red droplets. And um, anyone that does extraction would call those tears. I mean, wow, does that not say all that you need to see? So it symbolizes the the bitterness of pain that God's going to face on the tree. Jesus would um, suffer for our for our sacrifice, and even the droplets of blood you see as Jesus is being pierced with the crown of thorns and being, you know, crying tears of blood because he's so stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like myrrh is a representation of that prophetic um, sin sacrifice and. And purifying us. And once we're purified, we're, we're called the bride of Christ. I mean, it's, it's so detailed and so beautiful when you take the time to actually learn, like, these aren't just gifts they were giving because they were convenient, or they were like, you know, they were common in the day, they had a, a purpose to them. And it's like when you dig into that kind of something that looks familiar and you start pulling away layers, you get that opportunity to worship in a way that you wouldn't if you just pass by that in the story of Jesus and go, oh, okay, he got three gifts. (laughs) So it's good stuff.
0: Yeah. So there's so many details. And one of the details in the Nativity story that that I love to study as an apologist, uh, speaking of the what we often refer to as the three wise men. Again, we don't know that there were three, but what were they following? They were following the Star of Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. And there's been some incredible studies trying to determine whether or not the Star of Bethlehem was a real thing or not. Uh, Some people believed it was just something created by the early church. Uh, Other people took it literally, so on and so forth. So there's been tremendous studies trying to figure out, was this an actual thing? Uh, and there's a great documentary out there. I recommend it to everyone. We will add the link in the comments. There's a free version on YouTube that you can watch, but the resolution yeah. is, is really it's a little rough. bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and what, what this is, um, it's a documentary. So this is a, a guy, he's a lawyer, that, that gets obsessed with this question of whether or not the Star of Bethlehem is real. And so he goes on this hunt to start piecing things together. And he uses a lot of scripture to figure things out, right? The, 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 the gospel of Matthew has a tremendous amount of detail about the birth of Jesus and the star. Mm-hmm. Revelation has a lot going on in it that actually points to the birth of Jesus. And then he uses all sorts of other scripture. He'll use... Uh, Job and so on and so forth. And he, he cites all of it for you. And he comes up with this list of items that he believes to be facts. The Bible is saying, uh, you know, the star stops uh, in the sky. Well, that's not something that's typical of a star. A right. star typically is, is constantly in motion because of the rotation of the earth. But the Bible says a star stops. So that that's a really tricky thing to uh, for, for him to find out, but he actually goes and he gets this program that NASA uses, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it recreates the sky. All you have to do is type in a day and time and coordinates of a location where you're standing <sighs> on the Earth. Yeah, totally fascinating. And because everything is so organized, he could type in... I'm standing in Jerusalem on this day, and it would show literally all the stars in the sky, the constellations, everything. Um, And I think it was actually, it was Kepler that, that came up with all these algorithms to calculate how stars move.
1: Kepler's a scientist? Yeah,
0: and when, like, when Elon Musk says he wants to be the first to go to Mars he has to know where Mars is going to be. Right. It it takes six months or whatever it is, three months, six months for people to get to Mars. So he needs to know where Mars is going to be in six months. So they can land. (laughs) And the reason he knows that is because of what Kepler did hundreds of years ago. And so they use all of this. Um, and, and again, what makes it so cool as an apologist is this is software that's out there that anybody can use. And it's, it's factual. Um, if it wasn't, it would be debunked so fast, uh, very simply. Yes, with right? the venom, yeah. people
1: would debunk that. Yeah, in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but but he uses this, and he, he turns to the Bible, and he turns to all these facts. I think it was like nine nine different facts that he finds in the Bible about the star, the direction it's heading, where it's coming up, you know, the fact that it stops, and so on and so forth. Uh, and he pieces these nine facts together, and he starts plugging in dates. Uh, some of the dates he plugs in, it has to be happening before the death of Herod, uh, because Herod sees it. And, right. you know, Herod dies in 1 BC, I believe it is. I could be wrong about that. Check, check the documentary. Um, so he's looking in the sky using the you know, the death of Herod as the starting point and so on and so forth. And there's actually some very cool things happening. The Star of Bethlehem is a fascinating explanation when he shows you what he sees in this program that recreates the sky, what's happening in the constellations, everything.
1: Um, Well, the stars themselves tell the gospel story yeah and that's what's so remarkable and so when god says that people will be without excuse that nature testifies to who i am the stars literally tell the gospel story and it's incredible when you just spend a little bit of time looking into something that someone else did all the hard work for you all the science all the math i mean that stuff goes right over my head but somebody maps it out for you so that the person that is skeptical and and we often say this skepticism is not a bad thing it's when skepticism turns to cynicism that's what's dangerous that's when your heart gets really hard but the skeptic like the skeptic is the one who really has enough like "Mm, i don't know is that really true and that's the person that seeks and those people tend to get their answers because god says hey seek and you will find
0: yep and, and that's what's so amazing is th- this guy puts, he takes the Bible and he takes these small details, right? It, as Christians, if there was any contradiction in the Bible, I would immediately throw it away and I would give up my Christianity. And it, he takes nine details that I think, again, I think it's nine. And there's very small details throughout the Bible that when you're just reading, it, that's not an area where you're going to pause and go, let me meditate on that. But he takes those out and he applies them to this NASA software. What he comes up with is absolutely amazing. And it's the reason I believe in the Bible and I believe that Jesus died for my sins is you can take the Bible and put the smallest details under tremendous pressure. pressure, And it still holds true. It it explains so much. And in in the Star of Bethlehem, that documentary, again, you can probably buy it on eBay. Uh, I I don't know that they're producing new copies anymore because it's been a decade or so since that came out. Do you
1: think it's still on DVD?
0: Yeah, yeah. When, when they released it, DVD was, <laughs> DVD and Blu-ray were definitely the technology that was around. Wow. You can probably get it on, uh, excuse me, eBay. Like what I was saying earlier, the copy on YouTube that you can watch for free, the resolution is really rough. So when he's showing things on the screen, like constellations, it, it, sometimes you can't, you can't, you really have a hard time seeing what he's pointing out. Right. So I, if you don't mind spending 10 bucks uh, it is definitely worth the investment or watch it on YouTube and then determine if it's important enough for you to spend the 10 bucks.
1: I mean, people spend 10 bucks at Starbucks without yeah, blinking an eye. I,
0: I highly <laughs> recommend it. And the most amazing thing of all is actually in the extras of the DVD um, where I'm not going to blow it for the audience, but if that doesn't blow your mind, he has one of these extras that's literally like a three-minute clip of – the whole thing, he's giving you coordinates on Earth Mm -hmm. and what you're seeing in the sky. And in the DVD extras, the only thing I'll tell you is he gives you coordinates on the moon looking back at Earth.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: And it it gives you chills as to what's happening in the constellations and what you're seeing. So, um, yeah, when when we talk about the birth narrative and the the gospel and the details, the Mm -hmm. level of details, It's just incredible.
1: Um, And it it gives us an opportunity to not just go through the motions. That's the biggest problem I think I see in the commercialization of Christmas and why I really don't like that part of Christmas. Like, to me, I feel like people are running around to grab gifts and not have any significance to why are, why am I really celebrating this? And so I love that these details give me a worshipful. Did I say that right? Yes. Worshipful. (laughs) Um, attitude during this season and that I'm not rushing and that I'm not looking to just people please. And it gives me an opportunity to go, wow, Emmanuel, like God with us, like God with us. Think about the fact that Jesus leaves, you know, his, his godly throne to, to suffer with us, to, to live a life where we can look at him and go, you know, we can never really say, you don't understand how hard it is. He does. He suffered. He chose to do that for us. Like that's what I want to worship And that's what my attitude is to be about um, in this season, you know, for me.
0: Yeah, I think two of the most dangerous weapons that that Satan has is complacency Mm. and keeping us busy. And we don't stop and recognize the significance of what God did. And there's no busier time than the holidays. Yep. I mean This, this year, I, just, I was just reading, this year is supposed to be the highest number of people traveling for Christmas since the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were estimating 105 million people wow. are going to be traveling at least 30 minutes away for Christmas this year. 105 million people between Christmas, I think it was December 23rd and January 2nd. One hundred and five million people. How do
1: they even determine that?
0: I think probably airline. It, it was something on airlines. What's going on with the airlines okay. right now? So, it, but it was just a. Who knows if the the numbers? There's probably a plus or minus uh, factor Here in all or of there. that. But either way, you can just look uh, around and see how many people are traveling. But it, it just it's so many. You're going to visit families. There's stress. There's gifts. There's parties. I mean, you, you had what three parties this, this past week? week? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, three parties. I <laughs> ate so
1: much, and like you know, I was really, really busy.
0: Yeah, and and that I think that's one of the the very effective weapons that Satan has against Christians is well, if I can't make them complacent, I'm going to make them busy. Yep. And that season of gratefulness and and recognizing what Jesus did, it's going to pass them by, and that that'll do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we really encourage you guys to to stop, you know. <laughs> If, if you want to hang up this podcast right now and just go meditate, all our punchlines have been thrown. So <laughs> so go for it.
1: I like that. Uh, all of our punchlines have been yeah, thrown.
0: We've, we've said our piece for Christmas and, and we hope that you guys uh, love some of the things that we shared. We hope that, that some of this was educational for you, but yeah, just in closing, go out and be thankful. Amen. Recognize exactly what the gravity of the situation is that, Emmanuel, God was with us. He is with us. He will always be with us. He paid the price for us. And it started in a little city called Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And don't ever take it for granted.
1: Right. I think that's beautiful advice. And if anything is intriguing to you on this, God wants you to seek. Go find the details. Yeah. Be in awe. All on your own. It's, it's amazing. It's a great time to spend with Jesus during this season.
0: Absolutely. So, guys, we hope you uh, enjoyed this special episode. Merry Christmas Merry to all Christmas, of you. everyone. We will get back to our regularly scheduled program after the new year, finishing up season two about my brother Stuart. But for now, guys, we love you. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time.
1: God bless. Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at you.